Welcome to AM Best Audio. Amalgamated Life Insurance Company was founded in 1943 to raise the standard of living for working people and since that time has expanded into 50 states to offer a suite of group insurance and voluntary benefits. Along the way, the company has seen many big changes in those markets, along with a host of innovation and technological advancements. I'm Lori Chortis for Invest TV, and joining us today to discuss some of those changes and trends and new opportunities in the market is Paul Mallon. He's the president and CEO of Amalgamated Life Insurance Company. Paul, welcome. It's wonderful to see you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So, Paul, can you tell us what are some of the trends that you're seeing today in the life insurance market? Well, I would say um, in terms of some of the markets that we're in, um, we're, we're seeing um, <clears throat> growth in the voluntary business in terms of our voluntary life and income replacement products. Um, however, I will say I'm a little concerned going forward because of inflation, the looming recession. Inflation is eating into family wages, and that can impact the market as discretionary, discretionary income uh, declines. So, um, you know, we'll see. We're monitoring it. We'll see how it goes. But uh, I still think that that market is a good market. Expanding on those trends, what do insurers now need to do to demonstrate more value in their customer relationships? Well, you know, when I think about customer relationships, you know, it's about how people are treated and how they communicate with each other. For us, um, there are a lot of different touch points uh, along the uh, customer relationship chain. So I think in terms of... um, you know, starting at the sales end. So, for example, with voluntary benefits, uh, we believe in face-to-face enrollments. We think it's important for our members or someone who's going to purchase our policies to really understand, learn about the product, understand what they're getting. This is the first touch point with the company, and we want to get off to a good start. And we also believe that makes for a better customer and policyholder. But along the way, you know, along, I'll call it the customer relationship chain, um, there are questions arise from members, from brokers, and so forth, or issues arise. So how do we deal with those, and how how do we treat them um, at that point? Well, you know, you you have customers, or uh, members, I should say, who like different ways of dealing with a company, right? There, there, There are some that want no touch or low touch, so they'll go through a portal or a chat and so forth. And there are others who need to speak with a live person. Um, this is the most important from my perspective because that live person or the rep needs to be able to, to answer the member's questions quickly, accurately, and they have to be courteous. Because, you, you, you know, you think about when you call up, you know, an airline, I'm not picking on airlines, but, but pick your industry or, or something you need help on, and you have to wait a long time, you're not getting the answers you need, the frustration, and your time is limited. You know, we, we, we factor all that in when we're trying to deal with our customers. Our members are really important to us. Our brokers are really important to us. In what areas of life insurance and other group and voluntary benefit markets are you now seeing growth? What's driving that? Do you expect that growth to to continue? What opportunities will that provide? Yeah, so 
for, again, from our perspective, um, we're, we're seeing it in income replacement products like disability. Um, families need um, income protection. Uh, workers need income protection. But we're also seeing it in terms of um, our, our um, group portable term life product that we sell at the work site. So life is still out there. Um, we sell a whole life product um, that we have a marketing alliance with Security Mutual, and, and that seems to have quite a bit of traction as well. On the life side, though, you know, while we're experiencing growth, in COVID, or I should say COVID now, is starting to get in the back of people's minds. And the question is whether they need um, you know, the, li the life insurance coverage or not. I mean, we believe, obviously, we're a life carrier, that it's important for security and important for families to have this protection. But now that COVID's not really on people's minds the way it used to be, you know, I think the, I think the people and the employees and so forth are starting to rethink it in conjunction with inflation and how that eats into their wages and, and discretionary income. So, Paul, what, what keeps you up at night? What are some of the pressures facing insurance CEOs today? <laughs> well, there's a lot that keeps me up at night, of course. <laughs> but um, there are quite a few things. I mean, I think the, the current economic uncertainty, you know, we really want to make sure our members, our employees are in a good place with all this going on. I, I've mentioned inflation a few times. There's clearly a looming recession. Um, so that's very important to us. Um, other things include customer service. I talked about that and the, the importance of member service. So um, we're always monitoring that. We're putting new technology in there to help make that experience uh, better. Uh, and I would say another item is uh, IT security. I mean, cybersecurity, you know, I'm, saying, I'm not saying anything new. Every company is concerned about it, and uh, I am as well. And um, you know, we're, we, we are constantly, or I should say I'm constantly getting briefings from our CISO and CIO around it and updated on, on what we're doing from a planning perspective in terms of various metrics and cyber, you know, from our cyber perspective and so forth. That is an ongoing issue that seems will never end, unfortunately. Expanding on some of the challenges that you're seeing today, what are some of the other challenges or risks that life insurers now face, and what can they do to overcome or alleviate those challenges or concerns? Yeah. Uh, I think some of the things I just mentioned for sure. Right. Um, but, you know, the economic uncertainty, the cyber. I, I, I think a challenge, and, and this has been written about a lot. I mean, you all have, at AM Best have talked about this, you know, the, the technology the legacy systems, how do, we, how do we use data? Insurance companies have a, a lot of data. How do we use it in a way that's meaningful and makes sense and, and helps the company grow, you know, helps the company be more profitable, helps the member or policyholder? Um, you know, so ways, you know, we've got to do that through, you know, just over time, putting in these new technologies, using AI, Maybe it's not using AI in a lot of cases, right? AI is still in its infancy, of course. Um, so, um, you know, there are a lot of things, a lot of challenges on that front um, from a technology standpoint, of course, and some of those other things I mentioned. 
expanding on the economic challenges that you talked about earlier, last year, 2022, was a tough year in terms of interest rate increases and unrealized losses incurred by life insurers and their fixed income products. Does it appear to have turned the corner? And do you see a return to more normal normal concerns such as market pressures on investments and the potential for slowed growth or recession? And how will amalgamated handle a recession? Well, I don't necessarily, it depends on your definition to turn the corner. But, but, but generally, I, I would say, in my view, the, and I hope I'm right, the Fed has finished hiking rates. I, I, I think we'll see more in September, in t- more in terms of their direction in September. I, I, I think the Fed's got to pause for a while, see what's happening with inflation, get more data, see what's happening with the economy, what's going on with tightening bank credit and, and, and the impact on that. I do believe a recession is coming. I, I don't know how deep. I used to think um, the recession would have happened already, and I'm glad it hasn't, and I really hope it doesn't. I mean, no one wishes for that. But in terms of the fixed income portfolios, um, Clearly, the industry has quite a few unrealized losses, but the industry is very good at asset liability matching and clearly has sufficient liquidity. So I don't view that as an issue. These rising interest rates I view as an opportunity where insurance carriers can get back to regular interest rates that work for the companies and actually over time improve their yield and income. So I think that's good for the carriers. I think it's good for the policyholders. What do you, you talked about uh, technology and AI earlier. What are you now seeing around digital transformation in the industry, and how are insurers evolving from legacy systems to new advanced technologies? Yeah, so there are a couple, there's a lot there. Yes. But um, this is a key for insurance. I mean, for a long time, everyone talked about the old systems, right, and, and the old ways of doing things. But that's clearly not the case anymore, you know, whether the insure tech companies and all that stuff. But from our perspective, and I think other carriers, you know, there's a push to the cloud. Now, the cloud's not new, right? but there's a lot of assessments here. As you're upgrading systems, does it make sense to put it in the cloud? And there are, could be a lot of benefits to that. Um, the other thing is AI, right? Now, there isn't a day that goes by in the news or in conversation, you don't hear about AI. Six months ago, no one really talked about it. You know, maybe internally, the, you know, you're dealing with your, your technology group and so forth. And, and when you think about it, over the last 10 or 15 years prior to COVID, you know, technology advanced. Everyone's just working to get a new system. It seems like since the pandemic, it's taken off at light speed. So. AI is in the news all the all the time. You know, one of the things we're doing back to customer relationships is um, we're we're upgrading our omni-channel contact center. We're putting in new software, and some of that software is going to have AI capabilities, which is really going to help you know us and the member have a better experience. You know, when they call and you know ultimately go through chat if they want to go that route and so forth. So. Um, there are a lot of different things that are happening. How do you use, put in new analytical tools? We have a ton of data, as I mentioned. You know, how do you use AI for that or not? Um, so quite a bit going on on that front. 
Expanding on that, what opportunities will those technologies and other new technologies that we might see coming soon provide to the markets? Well, I think in terms of that, so I think back to the software we're putting in our Omni um, Channel Contact Center. When we look at that, and I'm not saying this is totally new stuff, but there's an, there are various artificial intelligence components. One of them is around sentiment analysis. So a customer or a member calls up and the rep's working with that member and the call is going to go south. And the, the software picks up the tone of the member. What that then does is the software, through learning over time, then will ultimately put a pop-up on the rep's screen and say, you know, something like, you need to change the direction of this call here, or a pop-up can show at a supervisor's screen. So at the end of the day, this, what, what I don't want to call it little, but this little piece, small piece of software or artificial intelligence can do is make for a much better member experience and make it easier on the member, our employee, and the, make it better for the company as a whole. And there are other things like that we're doing. In terms of what I was talking about with the cloud, the push to the cloud, um, there are a lot of benefits. Now, it's not for all systems, but there could be a lot of benefits in terms of you know cost reduction, less maintenance, easier upgrades, business continuity, or some called disaster recovery. Um, having systems in the cloud, there's a, there are a lot of um, uh, benefits to that as well. Amalgamated life has labor roots dating back to the early 1900s. What trends are you seeing in the union labor market today? Are union membership rates continuing to decline? What's driving that? Do you see that continuing? What impact will that have on your company and in other insurers in the market? Yeah, so Amalgamated Life obviously started in, in the union movement. But today we're a much more diversified company where, where labor is key, obviously, and is always in our roots. But we've diversified to middle market businesses and municipalities and, and, and so forth. Um, but in terms of uh, the union movement, the rate might be down a little bit. We're not seeing the historical declines like obviously in the past, but membership is actually up. And I would also say that, you know, in terms of labor, it's much more publicized today. You know, we're seeing some high-profile high organizing activities and successes at companies that are non-union, such as Starbucks and Amazon. So, so those are really important uh, for the labor movement. Before you became CEO, you were Amalgamated Life's chief financial officer. Can you tell us about that transition and how your former role as CFO and various operational functions prepared you for your current role? I think I've always had an interest in the how companies operated, and I think it goes back to when I first started my career. And, you know, moving up through accounting and finance, you know, and the various aspects of my career, I've always dug in and really tried to understand what drives a business, what drives an operation, what, what are the drivers, um, and that has helped me. And, you know, being CFO, and I think most CFOs are like this, you know, you can't just sit back and look at numbers and say this, you know, this changed from last year to this year. You really have to understand why and what drives it. Plus, CFOs are involved in the strategy of an organization. So I was very fortunate 
um, as CFO at Amalgamated um, to, uh, to really get involved in, and over time get more responsibilities in terms of operations. So when I was CFO, ultimately IT reported to me, underwriting, facilities, insurance administration. So it gave me a chance to really learn those areas. And then further on, um, as part of that, you know, constantly dealing with the other business units and developing the relationships. So I had to learn, set, you know, what's happening in sales, what's driving it. You know, you're putting, the, you, you're putting the, the strategic plan together, you're putting the budgets together, you're doing all this stuff, you have to work with other people. So developing relationships, learning the business, um, working with the board as CFO uh, was really helpful to me and helped me transition to the CEO role. Wonderful. Well, I understand your predecessor has been a, a strong mentor to you over the years. Can you tell us more about that and the vital role that mentors play to those in the industry? Yeah, I don't think I'd be sitting here today if it wasn't for Dave. Um, Dave Walsh was a uh, very important person to me. Uh, he was a mentor. Um, that doesn't happen overnight. That happens over time through developing a relationship, gaining trust both ways. Um, but I, I've been very fortunate to have received his guidance and learned from him uh, over the years. And, you know, m having mentors is, is important for people in every industry and not even, you know, not even within business, right? It's also helpful from a social standpoint or outside of, you know, outside of business as well. But um, I know a lot of companies have mentorship programs and I think they're good and they, they you know, over time, if, if employees and so-called mentors, you know, can develop those relationships, you know, that's a true mentorship, the relationship. And it takes time to develop that, you know, I, you know, I know there's, there's a lot of controversy or a lot of discussion around remote working versus in the office. From my perspective, it, it's really important, you know, especially a younger employee to be in the office and really developing those relationships because that's how you, you learn and, and, you, and you gain, the, you know, and you can get a mentor and get the real advice. It's a lot harder to do uh, through uh, video calls. Well, speaking of, of employees in the workforce, the insurance industry continues to fight the war on talent. What are some of the new strategies for attracting and retaining qualified employees? Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't think there are necessarily new strategies. Um, it changes, everything changes, right. right? Businesses and things change over time. Um, what we do, there, there are a few things. Obviously, I mean, there's the standard, you got to make sure your compensation overall package is in line. But um, some of the things we do is, you know, we try to focus on our, on our employees. For example, although we haven't announced it yet to to uh, the staff, but in our White Plains office, we're planning a barbecue uh, towards the end of uh, next month. So I think that's going to be really positive. You know, I like senior management, and I walk around the office and and talk to people. Um, in terms of recruiting, uh, you know. Yes, you have your standard HR recruiting and so forth, but we're using our own workforce also to try to recruit 
through their networks, whether using LinkedIn as a platform, and I'm not talking about posting a job on LinkedIn, but you know, you know, our IT folks, you know, we need to hire an engineer, say, you know, get out to their network through LinkedIn. In our medical management business in, in New Hampshire, the president of that business has her network of nurses. So when we need to hire nurses, she's using that network. So it's a little bit different, I think, than in the past. But, you know, like everything, things change over time. So, Paul, I'm going to ask you to take out your crystal ball for a moment. What lies ahead for the life insurance and other group and voluntary benefits markets in the coming years? Well, I, I, think, it, I think it's positive. Of course, the, there's that uncertainty around the looming recession. But I think it's positive. You know, there, there's still a need, especially on the voluntary benefits side, there, there's a real need by, by employees um, for life insurance, disability insurance, other products as well. Um, they need financial security for them and their families. Um, and employers just don't, there's a gap, basically, in what employers provide. So I, I think there are still real opportunities in, in the uh, voluntary and group markets. Again, the recession, right, so what does that mean in terms of hiring? What does that mean in terms of discretionary income? Some of the things we, we've uh, talked about already, but uh, I, I'm still upbeat on those markets. So do you see any big changes or new opportunities, new developments coming about in those markets in, say, the next 12 to 24 months? I, no, I, I don't see anything big. Um, I think, you know, like any business, you know, or anyone, you know, leading company, you always have to be cognizant what's happening in the market and try to anticipate changes and, and make adjustments as needed. But I, I, I don't see any big changes uh, coming, but we are focused on, you know, what may happen in the economy and what they may mean to our business. So what are you most excited about for the industry in the coming years? Well, for me personally, I guess who else would it be? But, but, but for me, um, I think the digital transformation is exciting. I mean, I, I could see what's happening in our company in terms of some of the things we're doing with systems and things we're looking into down the road. Um, I find it very interesting, but I find by, you know, the right planning and, and you know, you putting in these new systems, the opportunities are phenomenal not only for the companies, but for the members, for the employees. It's really um, interesting, I'll say interesting stuff, but um, I find it very interesting and we spend a lot of time uh, looking at it and planning and, and uh, implementing. Wonderful. And what lies ahead for Amalgamated Life? What do you foresee for the company? Any future plans you're able to just share with us going forward? No, no. <laughs> I'd love to, you know, have some big news for you. But uh, no, nothing. You know, we always look for consistent, steady growth. Uh, that's our mantra. Um, that, that's what we look to do. We, we, we really find it important to um, take care of our employees. You know, we, we view that as extremely important. Uh, we we want to make sure our members are, are taken care of. Um, that That's what we do. Paul, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. That was Amalgamated Life Insurance Company President and CEO Paul Mallon. For AMBEST TV, I'm Lori Chortis.
Looking to get the full attention of the insurance industry? We have the platforms that will do just that. Whether it be AM Best TV, AM Best Audio, Best Review Magazine, or Best Day. Find out more by calling AM Best Advertising Sales at 908-439-2200, extension 5399, and have a great day.